0: Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism.
1: All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting
0: listeners like you.
2: To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber
0: or making a donation at Mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon,
1: Mormon Awakenings, the Mormon Wellness Project, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Testing 123. Testing 123. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode Truth and the Plan. That is the name of Elder Dallin Oak's talk from October General Conference, which I, together with Bill Reel from Mormon Discussions, will be analyzing and dissecting this evening.
0: Welcome to the program, Bill how are you doing RFM grateful for the chance to kind of sit with you and have this conversation uh, about Elder Oaks talk well
1: this is by far I think the one talk from general Conference that is getting the most attention and the most buzz would you agree
0: uh, yeah absolutely this was the one talk that I listened to just a little bit during my day at work uh, last Saturday and it enraged me as I listened to it but now, again, we're going to get into this, but now that I've had some time to sit with it, I think I understand what he's doing. And I actually agree with more of the talk than I thought I would. Um, but this is going to be a lot of fun to jump into because there's things I deeply disagree with that I think are uh, abusive in ways and unhealthy in ways that I think we'll get into.
1: Okay. Well, I think what is helpful for me and what hopefully will be helpful for the audience is to kind of start with the nugget, the, the real turd in this punch bowl of a talk. Which is that the entire talk, for the most part, is framed around the idea, which you'll get to, which is to discount gay marriage, gay relationships, transgender folks, and basically say that people who advocate for those kind of relationships are motivated by Satan.
0: Yeah, and that's certainly... Uh, a harmful message when we paint things in such binary terms, when we say, look, there's the us and there's the them and them is controlled by the adversary, influenced by the devil and us, we've got God on our side. And I think as we go through this talk, we'll see some deep logical holes in that kind of ideology. I think so too. And just to give a little bit of background, um, now that
1: elder Packer has shuffled off this mortal coil it seems that Elder Oaks has taken up the baton from him, and repeatedly he is the one general authority that I keep hearing banging this particular drum of an anti-gay kind of marriage. He throws in anti-transgender here for good measure. but it seems like he is the one who is doing this, and he does it under the guise primarily of the proclamation to the world on the family. And prior. Talks he's given in general conference. He has elevated this proclamation, just a proclamation, mind you, signed by the 12 apostles back in 1995. You and I both did a podcast on the political background. And underpinnings of why it was that that proclamation was created in the first place, which was to give the church legal standing in a gay marriage dispute that was going up the Court of Appeals in Hawaii back in the 1990s. You remember that podcast, right?
0: I do. And I think everybody should check it out because I think it's important to understand Elder Oak's role as well Uh, going back that far and even going back further, by the way, 1984 Elder Oaks is a junior apostle just recently called into the 12 and he is given the assignment as a lawyer, as a former uh, Supreme Court justice in the state of Utah. He's given the assignment to lay out the future possibilities of where he thinks the so-called gay agenda is going to go and how the church can combat that. I think once you understand his authorship of that 1984 document and what's contained in it. And I think it's a um, fair surmising to say that Elder Oaks also played a major role as the author of the proclamation. Uh, Once you understand those two things, you understand why he out of all top 15 leaders seems to trump this issue over and over and over again, well, well, none of the other 14 seem to want to touch this directly with a 10-foot pole. Right. And Elder Oaks talks about this issue
1: and his anti-gay message is not restricted just to general conference talks because even back in June of this year, 2018, when the church was having their big B1 celebration regarding the 40th anniversary of allowing blacks to have the priesthood and go to the temple... He gave the, excuse me, uh, Elder Oaks was the one who gave the talk. It wasn't enough just to allow the performers to have the celebration. Elder Oaks had to stand up as an old white man above the stage on which the performers would be performing and give his talk where he talked not only about how wonderful it was that the Lord had finally changed his mind, though he didn't know the reasons and had no clue as to what the reasons were, but that the Lord had finally changed his mind to allow blacks to have the priesthood. He wanted to make sure that the audience understood that even though the church no longer discriminates against blacks, it sure continued to discriminate against gays. And I thought the most atrocious thing about that talk was basically welcoming all the black people into the church on equal terms with the white people in the church. But at the same time, saying now that you black people can be one of us on an equal footing in the LDS church, we want you to join with us in our continued discrimination against homosexuals.
2: As we do, we express special appreciation for our marvelous members of African descent, especially our African-American members who have persisted in faith and faithfulness through a difficult transition period of fading prejudice. Now we unite together in concentrating our attention on the glorious post-1978 effects of that revelation in blessing the children of God all over the world. As our prophetic leaders declared at that time, the Lord has now made known His will for the blessing of all His children throughout the earth who will hearken to the voice of His authorized servants and prepare themselves to receive every blessing of the gospel.
0: Yeah, it, it... I noticed that as well. You and I have talked about that behind the scenes. Uh, It seems like every time Elder Oaks gives a talk, there's some long range uh, workings that he's trying to maneuver in. He's trying to solidify certain positions. And I want to say, I think it's important as we get into this talk, um, that he's doing the very same thing. So two things that I would want to bring up. One is that I would want uh, any listener – to go back and to read that 1984 uh, document. Uh, it is, and give me a second here. I want to make sure I name it right. It has so, a long title. It does. It is titled Principles to Govern Possible Public Statement on Legislation Affecting Rights of Homosexuals by Dallin H. Oaks. I would want every listener to go back and read that. When you understand that Elder Oaks, again, is the author of, Of the entire way in which the church has operated in dealing with homosexuality, with dealing with the the LGBT issue, which as you pointed out now includes, which that term obviously always included transgender, but which Elder Oaks is now going on the attack with them as well. Um, The other thing I would want the listener to pay attention to as we go through this audio is Elder Oaks splits his talk up into three sections. Section one, uh, seems to lay out the idea that spiritual truth uh, stands on its own and is not affected by secular truth. He does that for a reason, um, because he goes into, in section two, he wants to establish uh, crucial, uh, unnegotiable parts of the plan of salvation that are under attack right now by science, by secular learning, by availability of information, and then he lays out in section three, why the church does what it does based on those unnegotiable, uh, concepts, those unnegotiable doctrines, those unnegotiable beliefs in our theology. And so he's, he's essentially saying, look, there's, we are, uh, we are encountering increasing pushback, um, by the world because the availability of information and in secular learning and the studies of science are moving one direction Meanwhile, the church is holding ground that um, wants to maintain positions that are being pushed at very hard um, by by secular learning. And then Elder Oaks is saying like, but we can't give these things up. If we give these up, it fundamentally changes our theology and we will lose our authority. And then he lays out why we do some of the harmful things we do based on the first two sections. Um, I think it's just important because... And again, I know I'm rambling now, but when we listen to this talk, this talk can be enraging. But I think if you slow down, set your emotion off to the side and just listen to what he's doing and try to understand why he's working in the order he is and why he's covering the ground that he does, I think you can see that this is actually well thought out. It's a well-written, well-orchestrated talk. Um, because it's designed to accomplish certain things so that future Latter-day Saints and future leaders of the church cannot um, renegotiate these things. He's trying to entrench some ideals, some concepts, so that future leaders cannot change it. And I think when you see it with those eyes, you begin to understand the brilliance, if I'm honest, about what this talk is.
1: I agree with you. The thought occurred to me that this talk is a masterpiece of propaganda. Propaganda. And a little bit less pejoratively, it is his legal brief in support of the position of the church, the current position of the church anyway, related to gay marriage and transgender issues.
0: Yep. Yep, absolutely. So are you ready to play the first paragraph from Dallin Oak's talk? Let's dive in. I think we'll be hitting the stop button quite a bit, but let's uh, let's see how far we
2: get. Modern Revelation defines truth as a knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come. That is a perfect definition for the plan of salvation and the family, a proclamation to the world. This is the opening paragraph of
1: Elder Oaks' talk, and what he wants to do in the very opening sentences is cement in the audience's mind the idea that the family proclamation technically the family, a proclamation to the world, is truth. That's what the whole point of this is. And his main comments that he makes later on about social issues is going to go back and quote from this proclamation to the world on the family. So the very first thing he does is says, this is truth. Modern revelation defines truth as a knowledge of things as they are and as they were and as they are to come. That is a perfect definition for the plan of salvation and the family, a proclamation to the world. Those are my thoughts on the first paragraph.
0: Yeah, I I think when he says that truth uh, as a knowledge of things that they are as they were and as they are to come, I think he's speaking specifically of truth in the here and now, truth in the premortal life, and truth in the life hereafter. Um, I think sometimes we look at this scripture and we're talking simply about time references during mortality, how they were yesterday, how they're going to be tomorrow, how they're going to be today. But I I think Elder Oaks is talking about eternal truth in the premortal life, in this mortal life on this earth, and then uh, post-millennial Jesus into um, obviously the three kingdoms and post-mortal life and all that comes with that. And and I think he sets up his talk saying, essentially, there is truth that is present in spheres of existence that you and I don't know about. And so we have no right, um, using secular means, to challenge the things that we don't even comprehend from other spheres of mortality. Um, I think simply just to state that would be one thing that I got out of that first paragraph.
1: Yes, and he's going to segue right into that in the next couple of paragraphs where he talks about the sources of information that Latter-day Saints should use in
2: order to arrive at truth. Okay, we'll roll the tape here. We live in a time of greatly expanded and disseminated information, but not all of this information is true. We need to be cautious as we seek truth and choose sources for that search. We should not consider secular prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth. We should be cautious about relying on information or advice offered by entertainment stars, prominent athletes, or anonymous internet sources. Expertise in one field should not be taken as expertise on truth in other subjects. So this section from Elder Oaks brings up
0: a couple of things for me. One is that when you say that we should not trust secular sources that have secular prominence or authority uh, as qualified sources, what he's speaking to is actually a truth. So, when, when someone like, in, uh, and he mentions here, athletes or um, entertainment stars, when people are just well-known and they're influential in their industry, it doesn't make them experts on other subjects. I, I grant that. I, I agree completely. But notice he talks about those of secular authority. He doesn't mention those of religious authority, because in some way, those of religious authority in his mind are exempt. But the trouble is it's a binary way of seeing the world, because what he's dealing with is there's religious authorities inside Mormonism, and then there's uh, secular authorities and um, those of secular prominence outside the church. And that doesn't work. Because the Pope is a religious authority. Uh, the uh, David Miscavige of Scientology is a religious authority. And if Elder Oaks were held to stepping outside of his Mormon paradigm and looking at religions generally, he would recognize like, no, Mormon leaders have religious authority and that authority is unquestionable. But the other religious leaders of other religious paradigms; those leaders sure, certainly can be questioned and challenged and pushed back against. I don't think he would defend other religious leaders uh, in the same way that he would want to defend himself. I also want to add to the so the other thing Elder Oaks does is in the last sentence: expertise in one field should not be taken as expertise on truth in other subjects the trouble is Elder Oaks would not apply that to himself. So when a prophet, and we'll, and we'll get into this as we go through this talk, because there's places where he lays out how spiritual truth works and trumps secular truth. But I want to simply note to the listener that Mormon leaders don't apply this to themselves. In other words, their expertise is also limited when it comes to secular things, so when it comes to understanding gender, or when it comes to understanding sexual attraction, these same leaders who are saying like, uh, being an authority in one field doesn't make you an authority in the other, don't want to concede that there are other experts out there who have knowledge and understanding and expertise in fields that Mormon leaders speak on, but which they are unqualified to impose their perspective as universal truth.
1: Excellent point, Bill. Excellent point. I was looking at some of those same comments in this paragraph. First off, he's going to tell us what are the correct sources to search for truth. That reminds me of that meme, that cartoon that you'd put up on your Facebook page with the stick figures talking about, we want you to search for the truth. Here's a list of the approved sources that you can look in. Do you remember
0: that one? Yeah, I do. And and that's very much the way Mormonism operates. These are the questions you can ask. These are the sources you can look at. Um, and, and obviously, anything outside of that is forbidden, but at the same time, questions are honored.
1: Yes. And we uh, like you say, he speaks in general platitudes at this point, things with which it is difficult to disagree as a general proposition. But you are absolutely right that when push comes to shove, He excludes these principles from applying to himself or to other church leaders, like when he says, we should not consider secular prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth. Well, if he's going to play on an even playing field, he should also be willing to state that we should not consider religious prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth.
0: Yeah, and they're not, right? Like he, if he, if his feet were held to the fire and he was told that, hey, the Pope claims to be a religious authority for the Catholic Church and Catholics believe through the spirit, as they interpret it, that this is the leader of their faith, Elder Oaks would want to reserve space to allow people to deconstruct that.
1: Yes, and in the final line of that paragraph, which I think you quoted as well, expertise in one field should not be taken as expertise on truth and other subjects. Well, what we have up here is Elder Oaks addressing us whose career was in law. He was, as you say, a justice on the Utah Supreme Court. And really, if he's going to be fair in applying these principles, he's propounding. You mean that expertise in the field of law like he has, should not be taken as expertise on truth in religion.
0: Right, right. So unless Jesus or God have actually come down and sat with Elder Oaks and lined out what eternal truth is, simply imposing that he feels good about things, and hence he has a right to impose his ideas as trumping anybody else's, simply falls short, if you walk that logic out, to all those in the world who feel the truth of the things they believe in.
1: Yes, and I wanted to ask you a question about this one other statement that he makes in the same paragraph. We should be cautious about relying on information or advice offered by entertainment stars, prominent athletes, or anonymous internet sources. Now, a couple comments first. Elder Oaks does this a number of times. What he tries to do is he tries to make a list of things where the first couple of things are obvious no-brainers, yes, And then he tags on something else at the end, which is not an obvious no-brainer. Yes. He talks about entertainment stars. Anybody would agree with that. We shouldn't take somebody's opinion just because they're a star. Or prominent athletes. Well, yeah, of course. But then he throws in something else. Anonymous internet sources. This is an old legal trick, Bill. Which is if you want to get someone to agree to a proposition... What you do is you put it at the end of a list of other propositions, which you know they're going to agree to, which where you hope that if they say in their minds to number one, yes, to number two, yes, and then you throw in number three, that they'll continue the pattern of saying yes, 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 and that the listener will feel that the third item on the list is just as obviously yes as the first two, whereas if they were just presented with the one that he cares about, the anonymous internet sources, They might think about that a little bit more closely before saying yes. Now, I wanted to ask you, who do you think Elder Oaks is talking about when he says, you got to be cautious about relying on anonymous internet sources?
0: I I wonder if in part, he's talking about people who go under anonymous names like, uh, let's see, hmm, maybe Radio Free Mormon? I know. I didn't think of myself when he said it,
1: but that's because... I'm so humble, Bill. But, but, I, but other people said, oh, he's talking about you. And I said, no, I don't think he's talking about me. No, he's talking about you. But I do know that uh, they're certainly having a lot of trouble with Mormon leaks over the past couple of years. And that seems to qualify as an anonymous Internet source in the sense that Mormon leaks is publishing documents received by anonymous church sources from the church. Other than that, I don't know, but I I did think it was funny because sometimes Elder Oaks is blind to how what he says can be used against him and the church because all of the essays on the church gospel topics website, the essays that deal with the difficult issues in the church, you know what they are. I know what they are. We both read them. I expect everybody in the audience has read them. Guess what? They're on the internet, and they are anonymous. There is nobody who has signed off on those. The apostles didn't sign off on them. The historians didn't sign off on them. It has been commented on before that nobody wants to take responsibility for what's in there. They are anonymous. So when he says we should be cautious about relying on information from anonymous internet sources, if we take him at his word, he's talking at least as much about the gospel, topics, essays, as he is about anything else.
0: Yeah. In fact, the only essay that I know who the author is, is Paul Reeve of the Race and Priesthood essay. And the only reason I know that is because he f- came out and said so publicly on a uh, a different podcast where he was, he was talking about that essay and talking about his research into that issue. Uh, he's never done so in any kind of real – public channels that people in the church would be aware of and it feels as though he spoke out of being a little frustrated with the way they condensed his his research into that essay. Like he wrote a much larger paper and then church authorities then condensed it into what they wanted it to be. And he was speaking a little bit out of frustration. Nobody else has come forward. Like we suspect that Brian Hales is the is the major author behind the polygamy essays. Um, we suspect that like Carrie Molstein is the author behind parts of the Book of Abraham essay. But again, these are anonymous sources. The other thing is anonymous sources is a mixed bag. And he kind of grants that, but he knows what he's doing. He knows that with his audience, he is causing certain emotional reactions among people who are very dualistic, very binary in the way they think. And so if a Mormon is taught to be skeptical of an internet source, and again, I think we should be skeptical but a, a TBM, an Orthodox Mormon's going to go, oh, that's an anonymous source. I can't trust it. Get it out of here. It's anti-Mormon. When the reality is like, you can be skeptical, but you still study it out. You think about it. You read both sides. You come to a decision on what the truth is, and you don't discount that source as not having anything to offer, you simply don't assume it's automatically truth. Now, when we look at the anonymous sources inside Mormonism, as you pointed out, Mormon leaks is the big one. Um, I would add you into the list. And when I look at the things that Mormon leaks has revealed, has has shared, I don't see any reason to distrust the leaks that they are providing. It feels like every single leak is authentic and substantiated and, uh, is not being said by the church that there's something, uh, inaccurate or wrong with these sources. In fact, when Mormon leaks recently released a list of some of the sexual abuse cases the church was handling, uh, Ryan McKnight reached out to Curtin and McConkie and said, like, hey, could you, can you verify this? And they essentially said, yes, this is real. Could you at least, uh, black out the names of people, and, and I guess that's all we have control over. And Ryan obliged that, as he always does, uh, trying to keep out personal information but it looks like every single one of his leaks are authentic. When I look at you, uh, RFM, and your interviews with McKenna Denson, for instance, it feels like you're much closer to telling the full story and sharing the facts and giving all the information than the church is, that's for sure. And so to say like anonymous sources in Mormonism, they're not trustworthy. The reality is that the anonymous sources in Mormonism seem to be a whole hell of a lot more trustworthy than what's coming out of the church on any of these messy issues.
1: Yes, and, and interestingly, if you just look at this statement, don't trust anonymous sources. Well, the question comes to my mind, why? What is there about whether a source is anonymous or named that has any impact on the reliability, the credibility, or the truthfulness and accuracy of the information that the source is presenting? The answer is none. None. It doesn't make any difference whether a person wants to be named. People who are not named can be completely accurate. People who are named can be completely wrong. So once again, this has to do with the idea that you need to have as sources, people who are general authorities, who are the church leaders. And in this way, he actually contradicts what he says earlier, where he says we should not consider secular prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth what he's saying there is you know it's uh, that would be the logical fallacy which is appeal to authority this is true because an authority figure says it well strangely the entire church of jesus christ of latter day saints is built upon a logical fallacy which is the appeal to authority we believe things because authorities say them and yet now he's saying That you shouldn't trust things if they come from anonymous internet sources. Well, peel it back. If it's anonymous, it can't be trusted. We have to have the name of who's behind it. Why do we have to have the name of who's behind it? To see if it's an authority that we can trust.
0: Yeah. And I also wonder when they, when he picks on anonymous sources, which he'll do in this next paragraph as well, if that he wants There's a little bit of the church that says like, hey, you anonymous people, come out of the woodwork and tell us who you are so we can begin to send correspondence to your stake president, to your bishop, to at least uh, make your leaders aware that you're saying things contrary to what the church teaches. In some ways, anonymous sources are threatening to the church and they would love to at least have those people out in the open so that they can... Uh, subject those people to the pressures of being silent.
1: Right. And I think we need to go to that next paragraph here in a second, because it does continue from this paragraph about sources and anonymity. But before we do, I just want to throw in this other example from Mormon leaks. If in any way he's trying to impugn Mormon leaks as releasing documents from anonymous sources, and therefore we can't trust them. It was one of the leaks other than the one that you talked about. I think it was the... um, the chart with all the bubbles in it of the the anti-Mormons and people that were enemies to the church. Um, and I believe that that was the one where the church itself wrote a cease and desist letter to Mormon leaks asking them to take it down because Mormon leaks was using church property. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I remember that. So, they admitted it was authentic. In other words, that's our our property, take it down. Well, it sounds like it's pretty authentic to me. They couldn't make the claim unless it were actually their property.
0: It seems the anonymous sources in Mormonism are way more accurate and everything seems to be true and substantiated as far as it possibly can be with everything that these anonymous sources, yourself included, have put out. And finally, stating the obvious –
1: I like it that Elder Oaks is worried enough about the impact of anonymous sources that he's trying to brush members back from the plate of listening to them or reading them. Mm, Beautiful. Yep. Play the tape.
2: We should also be cautious about the motivation of the one who provides information. That's why the scriptures warn us against priestcraft. If the source is anonymous or unknown the information may also be suspect. Our personal decisions should be based on information from sources that are qualified on the subject and free from selfish motivations. Okay, starting
1: with what he said last, our personal decisions should be based on information from sources that are qualified on the subject, well, I guess that makes sense, and free from selfish motivations. Well, I think that probably makes sense too as a general proposition but the deal is bill let's just let's talk frankly here when elder oak says this he's referring to himself he is the one who is qualified on the subject he is the one who is free from selfish motivations and therefore he is the one that can give information and is going to now give the information to the lds church on which he expects them to base their personal decisions
0: yeah, everything he says here it, this feels like a very deceptive couple of uh, paragraphs or and and we're saying paragraphs cuz we're looking at the text of the talk from lds.org and they often split things up even with just a sentence here or there but these two sections uh when he says we should be cautious about the motivation of the one who provides information absolutely but that includes everybody that includes joseph fielding smith when he talked about the age of the earth that includes brigham young when he said that uh adam was heavenly father that includes bruce r McConkie when he said a lot of the ridiculous stupid stuff that he said it includes uh Um, uh, Spencer W. Kimball, who said that masturbation leads to homosexuality. You see, when we look at Mormonism, as Elder, as you point out, uh, RFM, Elder Oaks wants to establish that religious authorities inside Mormonism can be trusted and nobody else can. But the reality is that Mormon leaders are wrong a lot about a lot of things. Mormon leaders have speculated. When I look at George Albert Smith and when he talked about the race uh, and priesthood ban, uh, he was wrong about a lot of stuff. These guys don't get a free pass. And it's crucial The TBM is going to go, but that doesn't feel right. I want to trust these guys. Okay, that's fine. You can say that, TBM. But the reality is, if we say like, we're going to be reasonable, we're going to be rational, we're going to be logical, Mormon leaders are wrong left and right. They're wrong all the time. So when we say we should be cautious about the motivation of one who provides information, amen. But that includes every living prophet and dead prophet that we've got. It includes all 15 prophets, seers, and revelators. It includes all the past leaders of this church. There is no good way to establish when these guys are speaking the truth and when they're not. So these guys should also be looked at with skepticism when they speak. And then he says, that is why the scriptures warn us against priestcraft. That's a whole other animal. That is folks who are taking in money – In order to uh, give a message a certain way to keep that money coming in or to keep that praise coming in. And again, I don't think Mormon leaders are – what's the word I want to use? Exempt from that. And then you have the last sentence, which I think is just a flat-out lie. If the source is anonymous or unknown, the information may also be suspect. That's true, but you don't have to have those qualifiers any time – Anybody speaks on a subject. The information may also be suspect. You don't need to say like with anonymous people, it's suspect. But with non-anonymous people like me, Elder Oaks, it isn't suspect. It's suspect with everyone. Listeners, when RFM talks, be suspicious of what he's saying. Be skeptical. When Bill Real says something, be skeptical. Go read about it. Go look into it. Go read both sides. See what where the truth is and if it's what that person is saying or not. But being anonymous has nothing to do with that.
1: You're right. And Elder Oaks has a completely different message, which is not when I say something, be skeptical, go out, do research, read both sides. What he says is when I say something, you need to believe it because it's the truth, because I'm a leader of the church and don't go out and listen or look at other sources that might contradict.
0: And when he challenges you to find sources that are qualified recognize that Elder Oaks is not qualified to speak on the science of gender. Elder Oaks is not qualified to speak on the science of being homosexual. Elder Oaks is not qualified, nor was Joseph Fielding Smith qualified to talk about the age of the earth, nor was Bruce R. McConkie qualified to talk about the race and priesthood, nor was Brigham Young qualified. For whatever reason, think about this, nor was Brigham Young qualified to teach that Adam was Heavenly Father. Isn't that strange that prophets are deeply hit or miss even on foundational subjects of the gospel? Spencer W. Kimball, Masturbation Leads to Homosexuality. Again, I've said these, but it's important to recognize That like, we all want to believe. We all want to believe in the faith we were raised with, the church that we converted to. We want to hold it as true. But if we're reasonable and rational, we have to look at the accuracy of the things that those authorities teach. And if those authorities... Taught an abundance of things, and we felt the spirit about those things, and some of them turn out to be wrong, and some of them turn out to be right, and some of them turn out to be unprovable one way or the other. We have to recognize that these men have no more access to truth or the ability to be sure themselves of truth or the ability for us to be sure that they're teaching truth than any other Joe or Jane out there.
1: And Elder Oak seems to anticipate your argument about science. And because of that, in the next section, he is going to take scientific truth and put it to the side and say, that's a completely different subject. And there's other truth out there other than scientific truth. That's the truth that's important. That's the truth that's eternal. That's the truth that I'm going to give to you when I teach you about my anti-gay, anti-transgender message. Before we go to that, can I just make one other comment since it's kind of personal to me? When he says, if the source is anonymous or unknown, you're right, that's me. The information may also be suspect. I find this really difficult to swallow, Bill, because I am anonymous. The church has made me be anonymous. The reason I'm anonymous is because if it were found out who I am and it came to the attention of church authorities, they would likely move against me to discipline me And probably excommunicate my ass. And what effect that would have on my family and other people who are very close to me would be extremely detrimental. I don't have to illustrate why that is. I think anybody who knows anything about Mormonism understands the ramifications of the situation. So the first thing is that the LDS Church by the way it deals with people with questions, well, frankly, with people who are telling the truth, Bill, is to drive them underground and to try and make them anonymous. In other words, the church made me anonymous. And once having made me anonymous, now the church is going to say, well, because I've made you anonymous, now nobody should trust what it is that you have to say. I find that. Yeah,
0: let's look at anonymous sources during World War II who helped uh, Jewish people uh, be safe or to stay hidden and protected from the Nazis. When we look at any time there is an unhealthy uh, regime, whether it's institutionally or whether it's a country of leadership, whatever it is, often it is the anonymous people who are doing their best to speak out, but also protect themselves from the censure and punishment of that system, that institution, that country's leadership. Uh, We ought not to just discount anonymous sources simply because they're anonymous any more than we should automatically accept sources that are not anonymous. All human beings are hit and miss on the information they believe and the information they share. And everyone should be skeptical of all people when they speak and to test the things that they say.
1: Okay, so now let's go ahead with Elder Oaks' talk. I just want to mention in the printed version, we're now done with the introduction, and now we're on, to, on the, the point where he um, begins designating different sections of his talk with Roman numerals. And now we're to Roman numeral one. We'll play the first paragraph. I always laugh when I Look at Elder Oaks' talk, the written forms, because he is the only general authority who separates sections of his talk with Roman numerals. Apparently, uh, having a middle initial, like all the other general authorities, is not enough pomposity for Elder Oaks. He wants to have his special area where he has Roman numerals in his talks. He has it in this talk, he has it in all of his prior talks, he has it in other talks in this general conference. He's the only one who does this, and they serve no purpose whatsoever except to try and show that he is in some way better than everybody else. At least that's the sense that I
2: get from it. Yeah, I'm with you. When we seek the truth about religion, we should use spiritual methods appropriate for that search. Prayer the witness of the Holy Ghost, and study of the scriptures and the words of modern prophets. I'm always sad when I hear of one who reports a loss of religious faith because of secular teachings. Those who once had spiritual vision can suffer from self-inflicted spiritual blindness. As President Henry B. Eyring said, their problem does not lie in what they think they see— It lies in what they cannot see. The methods of science lead us to what we call scientific truth. But scientific truth is not the whole of life. Those who do not learn by study and also by faith limit their understanding of truth to what they can verify by scientific means. That puts artificial limits on their pursuit of truth. President James E. Faust said, Quote, those who have been baptized put their eternal souls at risk by carelessly pursuing only the secular source of learning. We believe that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints has the fullness of the gospel of Christ, which gospel is the essence of truth and eternal enlightenment. End of quote. We find true and enduring joy by coming to know and acting upon the truth about who we are, the meaning of mortal life, and where we are going when we die. Those truths cannot be learned by scientific or secular methods.
0: There's a a lot jammed into this.
2: Um, When we seek truth about religion, we should
0: use spiritual methods appropriate for that search. Prayer the witness of the Holy ghost study of the scriptures and words of the modern prophets. So my, my question would be to an Orthodox member who's listening. Uh, and I think everybody else listening already understands this, that let's test, let's test how accurate prayer is for testing the truth of the claims within Mormonism. When Mormon leaders are talking about um, th- ideas or theology within Mormonism. So, when George Albert Smith said that those of color were cursed in the premortal life, when George Albert Smith taught that interracial marriage was sin, when George Albert Smith taught that these people of color carried the curse of Cain, when Spencer W. Kimball talked about the causes of homosexuality. You see, these men imposed these ideas as doctrine, as truth. They, they, felt the Holy Ghost telling them that these things were true. Us, as members in those days, we felt the Holy Spirit confirm to us that those teachings were true. Um, I can testify of that. Like when I was a member of the church, uh, active in the church, uh, going every Sunday, participating fully, I felt the spirit of that when I joined the church, that I'm, like, I was sorry to those of color, but I knew the truth. And the truth is hard, but I knew it was true. And yet today, current leaders disavow those past teachings. So the moment you recognize that prayer and the Holy Ghost and the standard works are insufficient for actually declaring real truth, then you have to begin questioning those as sources. You also have to be skeptical of those. The other thing is when you get outside Mormonism, other people from other faiths, they pray. They get answers to their prayer that their church is true, that the beliefs within their faith are true. They feel the Holy Ghost. They use the scriptures to uh, come up with the meanings and beliefs and standards that they believe in and live up to. It's not an okay way to discern truth. That's one. Um, again, he tries to separate secular authorities from religious authorities by talking about what we think we see versus what we cannot see. In other words, we always want to retreat as Mormons. All religions, whenever they meet up against science head to head, they always retreat back to the space of the unknown. And what Elder Oaks is doing here is retreating back to the space of the unknown. There are the things that none of us can see. So that way the secular authority can't impose on you like, Hey, I'm a secular authority. I have expertise in this subject. You're wrong. And Elder Oaks can always pull out the card of, you don't know. It's possible, and that's irrational. Um, I also want to just say, lastly, there's a quote here in the the second section of what he was talking about. Those who do not learn by study and also by faith limit their understanding of truth to what they can verify by scientific means. The opposite of the coin is also true. To those who only use faith, to those who assume by their arrogance that they are right only because they're a religious authority and don't take the time and effort and energy to understand the secular data and the science, Um, they also limit their understanding of truth to what they can only verify by special feelings inside their brain and body. That is actually less accurate of a way to understand truth than, than the coin side of the coin that he wanted to talk about.
1: Yes, and I think that when you take the 20,000-foot view of this talk as a whole, what he's doing is he's laying forth the reasons why it is that scientific truth about homosexuality is trumped by religious truth about homosexuality. Any scientific evidence about that, about transgender issues, anything like that, to the wayside – I'm here because my religious truth that I'm going to tell you trumps all of that. And if you look at it in that way, what he is doing is giving a talk to the members of the church that could just as easily have been given by the leaders of the Catholic church several hundred years ago to Galileo when he's talking about the fact that he believes through his scientific research and observations that the earth is not the center of the universe. And what they were telling him was, look, religious truth, which we have the monopoly on, pal, trumps scientific truth. They're two different realms, and we will tell you what it is that is the real eternal truth about God's organization and structuring of the universe.
0: Yeah, you make a good point. And he brings it up here in this section, which is speaking to what you're talking about. He says, those who have been baptized put their eternal soul at risk by carelessly pursuing only only the secular source of learning. So so the trouble is, this is, again, this is a tribal view. This only works when you're inside Mormonism and you're only dealing with Mormonism versus those who criticize Mormonism. When you step out of that paradigm, when you leave the binary world, the dualistic world, and you say, like, there's lots of tribes, there's lots of religious systems, there's lots of institutions, uh, and they have certain mechanisms and behavior, they vary in beliefs. When I step outside of it and I look at, say, Scientology or the Jehovah's Witness, when I look at uh, uh, Islam and its various uh, branches, inc- including some of the extremist factions, when I look at uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, or as you pointed out, the Catholic Church, Think about it. If I say to a Scientologist, those who have uh, read Dianetics, those who have joined Scientology, they put their eternal soul at risk by carelessly pursuing only the secular source of learning. The reality, as you point out, RFM, is that it is secular learning and it's stepping outside of listening to only our tribal authorities that tells us, that informs us, that helps us understand that these systems aren't true that Scientology isn't true. You're not going to find that out by listening to David Miscavige and, and all of those who underneath him teach and instruct the fellow Scientologist. You're only going to learn that Scientology is untrue as a Scientologist by looking up Google, uh, doing internet searches, reading books of people who have left, and studying why people leave and why the beliefs fall apart. It doesn't. In other words, what Elder Oaks is presenting is a—it's a fallacy. It's not true. It's not a true statement, and it doesn't work the way he said it does. And the moment you step outside your tribe, it becomes obvious. Every Mormon would recognize that Elder Oaks' statement is untrue. If we asked them to place themselves in another religion and to explain how they would decide, how they would figure out that that religion isn't what it claims to be, I
1: think that the masterpiece
0: of Elder Oak's
1: talk is his ability to assemble general propositions that are true and obvious and axiomatic on their face and then apply them in a completely incorrect manner. I want to just make another couple comments on this section before we go to the next one. I know we're going to go through it a little bit faster now because we have been lagging a bit and dwelling too much on the beauty of this talk. Uh, he does another list. Remember, I talked to you before about lists he does where he lists a couple of obvious things, and then he throws in the thing he really wants the person to continue to assent to. He does that, too. He says at the beginning of this section, Roman numeral one, when we seek the truth about religion, we should use spiritual methods appropriate for that search. Prayer, that's number one on the list. The witness of the Holy Ghost, that's number two. Who's going to argue with this? And study of the scriptures. And finally, the last thing, which is the most important thing for him that he wants to slip in there, the words of modern prophets. So when you take out all the other stuff that he really doesn't care about, all he cares about is the words of modern prophets, for crying out loud. He's saying that as a general proposition, when we seek the truth about religion, what we need to listen to is the leaders of the Mormon church. And more specifically, you need to listen to me, because that's really all you need to do if you're going to seek for the truth about religion. One other thing that I saw was um, this quote, which he quotes from President Henry B. Eyring, where he says, their problem does not lie in what they think they see. It lies in what they cannot yet see. Now, this is a very, very good example of an Orwellian statement Because once again, detached from what it is that they're talking about, it sounds kind of nice and intelligent and insightful. But actually what they're talking about is people who are looking at evidence, secular evidence, but it's evidence, Bill. And let's just talk about the messiness of church history since you're so familiar with that. People are looking at evidence, real rock solid evidence of the messiness of church history. And what they are doing is they are struggling with the evidence that is before their very eyes. Now, President Iring and Elder Oaks are never going to say this is actually the evidence they see. No, they're going to demean that first off. They don't see it. They think they see it, right? It's not really there. It's an illusion. All these problematic pieces of evidence about the church. So that's the first part of the quote. Their problem does not lie in what they think they see. See how demeaning that is in such a subtle way? It's not in what they think they see. They don't even really see it. They just think they see it. No, their problem lies in what they cannot yet see. So the argument then is, is that all of the evidence about the messiness of the church history, which we only think we can see, we don't really see it. That's not the problem. The problem is what we can't yet see. Well, we can't see it because it's not able to be seen. It ends up being always an argument from the absence of evidence. The evidence that proves the church true is always somewhere else, or somewhere in the offing, or in a place yet where we can't quite access it. It's out there, believe me, but we don't exactly know where it is. The information's not available to the mortal man. And this quote from Elder Iring uh repeated by Elder Oaks, reminds me of a Groucho Marx quote where he's talking to somebody and he says, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? And that's the sense that I get from what Elder Oaks is saying throughout this talk. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Are you going to believe me as a general authority of the LDS church who has the religious truth? Or, you're, or are you going to believe your lying eyes when you're looking at all the scientific evidence that completely contradicts what it is, I'm telling you, about homosexuals and about transgender people.
0: So, two things, and I think I want, I want to restate what you've said in a different way to just shine light on it. Um, in Mormonism, RFM, what has more weight? The evidence you can see or the evidence that you can't see? Oh, the evidence you can't see. Right. Think about that. How many cases you're, – you're in the legal field, right? You're, we're okay with saying that, right? You've established you're a lawyer. Yes. Okay. So, RFM, you're a lawyer. You've, you've done thousands of cases throughout your career at this point. And can I say one thing here? Please.
1: Elder Oaks is an embarrassment to the entire legal profession. Go ahead.
0: Sure. So as a lawyer, you've, you've <laughs> been part of a thousand legal cases at this point. How many cases have you won by telling the courtroom that if they only knew the evidence that nobody sees, um, that your client is, is in the right? That'd be zero. Yeah. It doesn't work. But Mormonism only survives. Mormonism only can continue if it can make the evidence that all of us see Of less value, of less worth, of less integrity, of less uh, weight than the evidence none of us see. And that scene, when you put it that way, to me, that feels ridiculous. Now, here's the other thing. You pointed this out. Um, He gives four standards for deciding truth prayer, witness of the Holy Ghost, study of the scriptures, and the words of modern prophets. RFM, let me ask you another question. If there is a contradiction, between your prayer and the modern prophets, which one should you go with? Modern prophets. Yes. If there is a contradiction between the witness of the Holy Ghost for you and modern prophets, which one should you go with? Okay, hang on, hang on. I think I know this one. Um, uh, modern prophets. Yes. If this was Jeopardy, you would be Ken Jennings. Uh, let's go with another one. Um, RFM, if there was a contradiction between the study of the scriptures and what modern prophets are teaching, which one's right?
1: Well, if it's in jeopardy, I have to frame
0: the answer in the form of a question. So I think the answer would be, who are modern prophets? Ding, 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 ding. So in other words, you made the exact point. Elder Oaks doesn't give two licks about these other sources of truth. If those other sources of truth contradict him, he could care less. At the end of the day, it's what he says that wins. And it doesn't, these other sources, as you point out, are only thrown in so that you go, yep, 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 uh, yep. And the reality is that he doesn't give two licks about any of those other ideas. It's only what he says that really matters. And he's trying to establish here, hardcore, and I think he's doing it for a reason, which is that he wants the junior apostles to understand that this theology, whether there's evidence for it or not, that this is the ground that Mormons have staked out. And this is the ground that Mormons are going to hold uh, come hell or high water. And so he is entrenching that, look, this is how we figure out truth. These are the doctrines, which he's about ready to go into. These are the doctrines that are non-negotiable. And then he's going to go into, as we pointed out earlier, why we apply things the way we do based on these first two uh, sections of, of how we decide what is truth and what are the things that are non-negotiable. Right. And I just want to underscore
1: for the audience that you and I are not just speculating about his position about modern prophets trumping the Holy Ghost. He has gone on record within the past year at a broadcast devotional, a face to face devotional, where he stated that if you get a, an answer or a revelation from the Holy Ghost that contradicts the teachings of the church leaders, well, he's not going to say you didn't get a revelation but you didn't get it from the right source.
2: I had an experience once with uh, some members who sought my counsel uh, in this circumstance. They said, our parents have told us that they've gotten a revelation that they don't need to pay tithing and they don't need to attend church anymore. What do you think of that? And I said, well, I don't question your parents' revelation, but they got it from the wrong source. (laughs) Right,
0: right. Because modern prophets trump the Holy Ghost for you. Even though Moroni, right, said by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things, which also shows that Elder Oaks is contradicting uh, scriptures. But again, that doesn't matter. Modern prophets in Mormonism automatically trump any other source of truth, even though the scriptures tell us and testify and back up as a second witness, Moroni's statement, that it's by the power of the Holy Ghost that you may know the truth of all things.
1: Yes. And by the way, that is a good place to just go back for a second to his warning against priestcraft. That is why the scriptures warn us against priestcraft. That comes from 2 Nephi twenty six twenty nine, 29, which actually says in a remarkably good description of Elder Oaks, He commandeth, God commandeth, that there shall be no priestcrafts, Elder Oaks. For behold, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world, that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. Well, some of those can be debated, but I think that the part of priestcraft that certainly applies to Elder Oaks is that he is preaching and setting himself up for a light unto the world. Physician, heal thyself.
0: Yeah, he. you're right. He has set himself up so that he is the authority that trumps the truth that one feels inside themselves, even though the scriptures and ancient prophets and Jesus, most importantly, seems to point to the individual discerning for themselves the changes that they need to make and the things that they need to believe in and the things they need to deconstruct. As you point out, when it comes to the definition of priestcraft, Elder Oaks himself has set himself up as the end-all be-all of voices of truth.
1: Yes. And can I just say this here? I know the Book of Mormon has a lot of problems when it comes to its historicity, but I still maintain that there are truths to be found in it, and in that sense, at least for me, it qualifies as scripture. This is one of those places. I think the Book of Mormon knocks it out of the park on this verse.
2: Yeah, amen to that. Going on. I will now speak of restored gospel truths that are fundamental to the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please consider these truths carefully. They explain much about our doctrine and practices, perhaps including some things not yet understood. There is a God who is the loving Father of the spirits of all who have ever lived or will live. Gender is eternal. Before we were born on this earth, we all lived as male and female spirits in the presence of God. This
1: is one of the places now where he starts, once again, lifting up the proclamation on the family as absolute truth. In fact, later on in the talk, he will refer to the proclamation as the Lord's words, not simply a proclamation. I did an entire episode on this. It was called Making Doctrine Out of Nothing at All, and it had to do with the talk Uh, Actually, a talk by Elder Oaks and also in the Proclamation on the Family, because the Proclamation on the Family creates doctrine out of nothing. No scriptures talk about it. Joseph Smith never talked about it. Nobody's ever talked about it before the Proclamation on the Family that I can tell, except for possibly Lex de Azevedo in Saturday's Warrior. Because what he's talking about here, he says, gender is eternal. Where on earth is he getting that from? He's either pulling it out of his arse or he's pulling it out of the proclamation on the family because that is actually a quote from the proclamation on the family. It is found nowhere else. There is nothing to support this idea that gender is eternal. In other words, I'm a guy. You're a guy, Bill. What he's saying is we were guys in the pre-mortal existence too. I don't know where there's any evidence of that. He says not only that we were guys in the premortal existence, but if gender is eternal, we've been guys forever. There's no support for that. Not in the scriptures, not in anything said by Joseph Smith. And we'll be guys forever after this. Well, now you get into a little bit more where you could say Joseph Smith talked about that maybe somewhat in uh, section 132. And maybe Alma sort of talks about it when he says, you know, the resurrection will come to all and will be resurrected in the exact same body we have now. There might be a little scriptural support for that, but it's the pre-mortal stuff and the eternal stuff, which I object to. This is a wholesale creation of doctrine in the LDS church. It is based on nothing except for the proclamation on the family itself. And I think he knows why it, I think he knows it's shaky. And that's why in leading up to it. He says it's truth two times. He says, I will now speak of restored gospel truths that are fundamental to the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of latter Saints. Please consider these truths carefully. And then he says, gender is eternal. Before we were born on this earth, we all lived as male or female spirits in the presence of God. Well, this is a fundamental building block of his argument against homosexuality, and especially against this particular part, especially against um, gender identity. So he wants to establish this as truth, but he has to do it by going to the proclamation on the family. And I just wanted to state that there is no doctrinal basis for this claim. The closest it gets to is Saturday's warrior with the boys and girls falling in love with each other in the premortal existence and promising that they will meet once they go down to earth.
0: The, as you point out, again, as I've, I'm always stating this, and maybe I'm a broken record, this is such a binary way of looking at the world. So you have male and you have female. And males act in certain ways, do certain things, have certain responsibilities. And females act in certain ways and and do certain things and have certain responsibilities. Um, that doesn't hold up. When we dig into the science, which Elder Oaks has already discredited, the secular sources. When we get into the science, we realize that gender is very fluid. It's along a spectrum. How one is born physically, some people have both a vagina and a penis. Are we to make out that they are some somehow both genders in the pre mortal life and in the post mortal life? And if that's true, why does the church force those people to move into one camp? Or the other. And we have no theology for this third gender. And it's not just three genders. There is, a, again, a whole spectrum of genders. It is possible to have male DNA and yet to physically and mentally inside one's head be a female fully. There are, there are human beings who look like a woman, who get pregnant and have children, who have male chromosomes. Like, this gets messy. And for Elder Oaks, again, to say, like, my religious authority and my arrogance of knowing that there's only male and female, and knowing that this is the way those two genders express themselves, he is ignorant and unaware of the reality of what we know about gender. The science is moving deeply into one direction, and Elder Oaks is refusing to go along. Here's the other thing. He wants to play both sides of the coin. Um, when the family proclamation came out, it was important to the church to establish, and I could go back and find it. I don't have it in front of me, but there are statements from church leaders that say that the family proclamation is a collection of already existing doctrine and principles. But as you point out, RFM, that's not true. In fact, in order to keep uh, imposing certain ideas and concepts and doctrinal points, they have to use the family proclamation as the source of that because that's the first place it shows up. So it's, if, if not, then the church could go somewhere else. The family proclamation has never been accepted as by common consent as binding on the saints. In other words, it's not. A source, if we were just to stop talking about the family proclamation in a hundred years, nobody would look at it as an official source within the church. It's not canon. It's not, it's not understood as a prayer. It's not understood as the witness of the Holy Ghost. It's not understood as scripture. And yes, the modern po- prophets point to it, but it's not the modern prophets themselves. It's not one of the standards by which we decide truth. It's a statement outside of those. Um the idea that some of these concepts originate in the family proclamation in spite of LDS leaders telling you that all of these things were existing doctrines and principles uh, collected together in one uh, statement uh, should be concerning.
1: Right, the word they continue to use is reaffirmation. The proclamation is a reaffirmation of the teachings of the prophets since the beginning of the church. And I somebody in conference, I can't remember who it is, I, I thought it might be Elder Oaks, but apparently it isn't here, refers to the proclamation and says the exact same thing. It's almost like it's built into the wiring that anytime they mention the proclamation, they have to describe it as a reaffirmation of teachings of the church of the prophets of the church. Now, if we can go, I know we're not too far into this talk and we're already well into this recording. If you can go to the next two paragraphs where he introduces the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Oh, wait a second. No, he says the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. (laughs) This may be one of the first references in general conference to the new name of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. But then he goes down, and uh, if you play two paragraphs, I just have one comment at the end of the second paragraph from where we are.
2: We have just heard the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square sing, I will follow God's plan. That is the plan God established so that all of his spirit children could progress eternally That plan is vital to each of us. Under that plan, God created this earth as a place where his beloved spirit children could be born into mortality to receive a physical body and to have the opportunity for eternal progress by making righteous choices.
1: Time and time again, Elder Oaks and others talk about agency. And he talks about it here that God created this earth, a place for his children to be born so that they could receive a physical body and to have the opportunity for eternal progress by making righteous choices. Unless your parents are gay. Every time they talk about individual accountability and agency, it is undercut by the November 2015 policy where they take it away from the children of parents who are in a gay relationship. They don't have the ability to make righteous choices, to be baptized. They don't have the ability to make righteous choices, to receive the priesthood and advance in ordinations in the priesthood. They don't have the ability to make righteous choices, to go on a mission, because their parents are gay. And every time they make a comment that talks about Individual agency is a critical point of God's plan. A voice comes to me. I don't know if it's the voice of God. I don't know if it's the voice of the Holy Ghost. But it is a very loud voice that shouts in my ear, unless your parents are gay.
0: Elder Oaks, I believe it was with the uh, Elder Ballard and him, the face-to-face. But Elder Oaks imposed when when we're having this conversation – that the reason Elder Oaks and the rest of the leadership, minus a few who we know got deeply upset at the church's move at putting in stone those changes from November 2015, Elder Oaks in that face-to-face with elder battle, I believe that's where it was, imposed that, you know, it's it's your problem, RFM. It's my problem. It's those who struggle with this. It's their problem. They don't recognize it was done out of love. We took the agency, which is an internal principle We took that, the leaders of the church said, we took that away from these people out of our love for wanting to protect them from not having to make these tough choices within their families. And it's nice. I mean, that sounds all fluffy and nice when he says it. But when you understand the logic of walking that out, the church has no problem with agency when it benefits them. And they seem to have no problem with throwing agency under the bus when it hurts their mission. And I simply want to say, if agency is an eternal principle that is so loved and protected by LDS leaders, then your point is golden, which is why in the hell did you, did you force and take away those decisions from within those families when the right to make those choices belongs to those individuals and belongs to those families and doesn't belong to the church?
1: Right. And as you say, they do it out of love for them. And similarly, uh, what Elder Oaks is gonna go on and say in this talk is that basically they're withholding uh blessings and ordinances from gay people and from um gay people who act on their gayness, which I would consider a fully gay person, uh transgender people who act on their transgenderness, um And they do it out of love. And that's one of the things that's kind of disgusting about this whole thing is that he justifies the un like conduct of apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ toward the marginalized in society. And they justify it by love. He invokes the name of Jesus Christ in it. And I'm reminded of another trenchant insight from LDS Scripture that it was Satan who, out of love for his brothers and sisters— was going to remove their agency in order to save them all.
0: Right. And he did it out of love, right?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> what, what greater love could you have for your brothers and sisters than to guarantee that they would all go to heaven?
0: Right. To save everyone. Everyone will make it back. But you and I, we sat in gospel essential classes. We sat in gospel doctrine classes where that lesson was given. And we all had conversations in that room about how agency is so important that it's going to be worth losing a few of us, right? Agency is so important to the plan of salvation that we're going to risk some people not getting back to God. And here's the trouble is that agency isn't important enough, though. To let these individuals and these families make these choices. One seems way more weightier than the other, and yet it's the other where they decide to break this eternal principle and throw it under the bus. Well, I'm
1: frequently reminded of the quote from Orson Scott Card who said that in the LDS church, agency is the ability to do what you're told to do.
0: (laughs) So, so there's no agency at all. (laughs) Right. Okay. At this point, Elder
1: Oaks is going to go on for quite some time talking about very basic LDS concepts. He's going to talk about, you know, God's plan for his children, their immortality. He's already added the part about we're male and female from forever and pre-mortality. And God creates this earth and they come down there. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to get together and get married in the temple so that we can go to the highest heaven in Mormonism. And what we're going to do is we're going to play this a little bit faster than the rest so we can get through it, because really this is a snooze fest. Believe me. So we're going to play a little bit faster. We're going to get to some points where we want to comment after he goes through this. So can you do that with the
2: tape, Bill? To be meaningful, mortal choices had to be made between contesting forces of good and evil. There had to be opposition, and therefore an adversary who was cast out because of rebellion was allowed to tempt God's children to act contrary to God's plan. The purpose of God's plan was to give His children the opportunity to choose eternal life. This could only be accomplished by experience in mortality, and after death by post-mortal growth in spirit world. In mortal life, we would all be soiled by sin, as we yielded to the temptation of the adversary, and we would eventually die. We accepted those challenges and relied upon the plan's assurance that God our Father would provide. <laughs> is focused on more than mortal relationships. Eternal relationships are also fundamental to our theology. The family is ordained by oh God. Under the great plan of our loving creator, the mission of his restored church is to help the children of God achieve the supernal blessing of exaltation in the celestial kingdom, which can only be attained through an eternal marriage between a man and a woman. We affirm the Lord's teachings that gender is an essential characteristic of individual pre-mortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose, and that marriage between man and woman is essential to his eternal plan. Finally... God's love is so great that except for the few who deliberately become sons of perdition, he has provided a destiny of glory for all of his children. All of his children includes all who are dead. We perform ordinances for them by proxy in our temples. The purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ is to qualify His children for the highest degree of glory, which is exaltation or eternal life. For those who do not desire or qualify for that, God has provided other, though lesser, kingdoms of glory. Anyone who understands these eternal truths can understand why we members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Think as we do and do as we do. All right. So we
0: get to this section here where what it feels like Elder Oaks is doing is he's looking out across the crowd of the millions of Latter-day Saints who are watching. And actually, I don't think that many people are watching. So there are, there's 16 million Latter-day Saints on the membership roles of the church. We, we gather. From both said and unsaid public sources, I mean, again, these are anonymous sources, some of them, so we probably shouldn't trust them. But for things that are said out loud um, by credible known sources, as well as less credible unknown sources, we have an understanding that the activity rate in Mormonism is somewhere around 30 to 35%. Uh, we also know that millennials, based on Jana Reese's... Uh, uh, studies and surveys that she's done among Latter day Saints that most active millennials don't watch General Conference. So it's actually getting to the point where we can start to say very few people are watching General Conference. But of the fifth, of the 16 million who are watching, of those who are participating, Elder Oak seems to be looking across the vast audience and making a point that if you are bothered, if you're bothered by how the church treats those who are LGBT, that you should keep in mind that for those who don't uh, achieve or want or qualify, I don't know the exact words he uses, but yeah, so desire or qualify for the celestial kingdom. There are other kingdoms of glory, of lesser glory, but glory nonetheless. And he then makes the point that um, we essentially ought not to worry so much because for those who don't achieve the celestial kingdom, there are these other kingdoms. They exist and their glory is above and beyond what we have here. So here's his exact words. Uh, It says that the family is ordained of God under the great plan of our loving creator. The mission of his restored church is to help the children of God achieve the supernal blessing of exaltation in the celestial kingdom, which can be attained only through eternal marriage between a man and a woman. Now, the idea that the LDS Church does this great service to mankind seems strange when you take the 20,000-foot view and you see how few people in the world are Mormon, or especially even lesser amount of people, when you look at the history of the world. Um, as Elder Cook points out, the church from here on out is just going to be a few people, few in number, even though we're across the earth, um, as you and I talked about in a, in a previous uh, conversation. Um, but Elder Oaks here is saying the church is playing this vital role, and yet it's such a small number of people that it, it plays that role with. It goes on to say, we affirm the Lord's teachings that gender is an essential characteristic of individual, pre mortal, and eternal identity and purpose, and that marriage between man and woman is essential to his eternal plan. So first, he's setting in stone, like this is the ground we hold and we're not budging. So now for those in the audience who feel a poke, now he's going to try and explain to you that you don't need to be, feel so bad about this, that there's, that there's good things in store for the people who don't qualify.
2: God's love is so great that except for the few who deliberately become sons of perdition, he has provided a destiny of glory for all of his children. The purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ is to qualify his children for the highest degree of glory, which is exaltation or eternal life. For those who do not desire or qualify for that, God has provided other, though lesser, kingdoms of glory.
0: In other words, don't worry that your gay uncle or your lesbian niece... That they're not going to qualify for the celestial kingdom. Don't worry about that. Don't feel so bad. There are other kingdoms of glory that just lay waiting for them to enjoy and to uh, feel fulfillment in and to be happy with and to have uh, good experiences in and to, to be okay with those, those gay LGBT brothers and sisters. They're going to be just fine there.
1: Oh, they're going to be sitting down there in the. T-Lestial Kingdom with their kin and Barbie smoothies. (laughs) That's the TK TK smoothie. Right. So, Um, they can't be acting on their homosexual urges because, I mean, we can't have that going on in a kingdom of glory.
0: Ha ha. You don't have any holes. Ha ha ha. (laughs) The TK smoothie. Um, He says all of his children includes all who are dead. We perform. So, again, he's saying like your gay uncle, your lesbian niece- they're dead, but we're still going to do ordinances for them. And they're still going to go to a kingdom of glory. We perform ordinances for them by proxy in our temples. The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to qualify his children. Again, think about the small, minute number of human beings who the church can actually help qualify outside the ordinances, which all receive, by the way, the actual church interaction with human beings, helping them qualify for the celestial kingdom, is minute. He says, The purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ is to qualify His children for the highest degree of glory, which is exaltation or eternal life. For those who do not desire, or for those who do desire but do not qualify. So those who do not desire or qualify for that. God has provided other, though lesser, kingdoms of glory. This, to me, is abusive. This was the worst part of the talk for me. This is the part that just grinds me. Um, I am deeply bothered by the idea that we should be satisfied as human beings, that those who don't fit into the binary, um, limited, small mind view of the plan of salvation that Mormonism offers here that Elder Oaks is sponsoring, that we should be okay with it because our loved ones who don't fit that box, they get to go to some other kingdom that's really nice too, just not as nice as where we go.
1: Yes. And when you made that comment about uh, your gay uncle or your gay niece who's dead and we'll do the proxy work for them in the temple, that certainly struck me as macabre because the very words that he's speaking are causing more and more gay members of the church to wind up dead because they're taking their own lives. And going back to, once again, the quotations from the Proclamation on the Family, right before this paragraph, you quoted it yourself, Bill, where he says, we affirm the Lord's teachings that, quote, gender is an essential characteristic of individual, premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose, unquote. That's from Proclamation on the Family, making doctrine out of nothing at all. And he goes on, and that, quote, marriage between man and woman is essential to his eternal plan, unquote. That's also from the proclamation on the family. So he is quoting and using as the bedrock for his argument certain quotations from the proclamation on the family. And those are the specific quotations which we know from our previous discussion and analysis were inserted into the proclamation on the family specifically for the purpose of giving the church standing to file amicus curia briefing in the Hawaiian courts on the issue of gay marriage. But the thing that's really interesting to me is that he has now shifted the language. It's very subtle what he does, but it's very important. You notice he says, we affirm. You can't talk about the proclamation on the family without using the word affirm. But up to this point, it has always been The proclamation on the family affirms the teachings of the past prophets of the church. You remember that language, Bill. That's what he always says. Now he changes it. Now the proclamation on the family isn't affirming the words of past prophets. Now the proclamation on the family is the Lord's words himself. He just upgraded this to a full-blown Revelation. And what he says is, we affirm the Lord's teachings that gender is an essential characteristic. You have got to watch this guy every second. He's using the same kind of language with the the word affirm, but he just shifted it. Now the proclamation is no longer what prior prophets have said, which itself was untrue. We went over that, right? But now the proclamation is the Lord's own teachings.
0: So, the family proclamation becomes ground zero and now is the source that leaders from here on out can point back to because Elder Oaks has established uh, this, this this new space. So, from here on out, we can go forward saying that's where we get this from. Yeah. Now, think
1: how circular this is. Elder Oaks was in the Quorum of the Twelve. He signed off on it. As you said, he probably has his fingerprints all over it and was responsible in large measure for drafting it. So, he drafts a document back in 1995, and now he's using it to buttress his anti-homosexual, anti-transgender arguments in 2018. And he's calling what he wrote, The Lord's Teachings. Well, I guess it's good to be king.
0: Yeah. And and again, I I simply want to jump in and just say how uh, deeply uncomfortable I am with what is being taught here, because as you point out, there are members of the church, and I think this is an important point to make, there are members of the church who want nothing more to be Mormon. While you and I deconstructed Mormonism, and to some extent, we've stepped back or stepped away from Mormonism, at least in activity, and on some levels belief, uh, these folks, the LGBT believing members of the church they want to be mormon they want nothing more than to be there and while the church is losing its best and brightest to its messy history and to its dishonest statements by its leaders and to the false doctrines that it's that it is taught over its 180 something year history while it's trying to stop that leaking of members who leave over losing trust This is a segment of members who want to be there, and the church would do itself a favor trying to find a space that these folks could stay, and yet it also is disenfranchising them to the point that they're not only leaving, but sadly, they're taking their life.
1: And it's exactly these kind of talks given primarily by this exact general authority, Elder Oaks, that is causing it.
0: It'll be interesting, RFM, when Elder Oaks... So, the Deseret News has acknowledged that the suicide rate has quadrupled since 2007. It will be interesting to note that when Elder Oaks dies and those kinds of talks disappear from our rhetoric, from our presentation of our ideology and our theology, it'll be interesting to see that if that suicide rate all of a sudden decreases. And my my guess is that it will, and that it will be significant enough that we will make note of it, but we won't recognize or understand why that happened. And we're probably going to assume that it was all this other programs and, and after-school workshops and uh, these homeless shelters that are, like we'll come up with reasons why it occurred, but I think it will be uh, recognized as also being At the same moment, starting when Elder Oaks uh, passes beyond this mortality.
1: Yes. And if I were Elder Oaks, I would be praying every day that Mormonism is not true. Because if it is true, he is going to have a lot to answer for before the pleasing bar of Christ.
0: And and he's admitted that he has to wait till the other side to figure out if he handled this right. Right which also speaks to the fact that maybe he's not as much of a prophet, seer, and revelator as we in Mormonism have been taught to think uh, of him as. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon,
1: signing off the air.